So we're in this sermon series in Psalm 139, and uh, we have a few more weeks left. And for us, it's, it's sort of looking at, at Psalm 139 and looking at this ancient book, because I think for a lot of us, it seems like we work hard and we don't get appreciated. It seems like we're nobody going nowhere at times. I know some of you have felt that, and you might be in that right now, where you feel underpaid, undervalued, unnecessary, and, and maybe in some way, at different points of your life and, and, and different experiences, you, you feel like you're sort of the definition of the phrase, not much. And you look in the mirror and you ask yourself, do I really matter to anybody? I know all of us have asked that question, either consciously or subconsciously. Do I really matter to anybody? Does anybody really care uh, about me or have concern for me? And thankfully, God has provided an answer for us, a really good answer in Psalm 139. As we've gone through this series over the past few weeks, if you've missed, I want to encourage you to listen on our podcast, uh, but where Psalm 139 is David saying, God knows me. He knows me so well. He knows exactly what I'm thinking before I actually say the words. God is, is, is he loves me and cares for me so much, as I talked about last week, that he is present like water surrounding a fish. God is present everywhere because David says, you can't go anywhere you can't go anywhere away from God. That's how much God cares for us. You can go out to the outer regions of the physical universe and God is going to be there. Uh, you can go and, and maybe hide in a closet in your house and God is going to be there. That's how much he loves you. And then now we move into the section that really in a way demonstrates God's power. So we've talked about him knowing, we've talked about him being present. Now we're going to look at God's power in terms of how he created humanity. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 139. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139. And you can pull it up on your app, on your phone if you want to. I'm going to be reading from the New, New Living Translation, the NLT. Or you can follow along with your teaching notes. I encourage you to pull that out and follow along with that, or you can follow that with the verses on the slide. Let me read verses 13 through 16. And, these, and this is David talking about God. As we talked about last week, that we have this relationship with, with God, and David uh, demonstrates this, that you can actually refer to God as you. You, God. You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. No, so make sure that you include that word wonderfully, okay? Thank you for making me so complex. You don't want to say that. Wonderfully complex. Wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life, this is not hyperbole, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's how powerful God is. Every day of your life has been laid out. I'm going to talk about that a little, a little bit later on. Let me pray for us as we jump in. God in heaven, thank you so much for uh, these passages. And God, I pray for us as a community to absorb um, these weighty thoughts, these uh, transformational thoughts. God, help us to be fully present. Um, maybe our mind is about on something last week. Maybe our mind is about something uh, coming up in a couple weeks. God, help us to be present in this moment. God, convict us, teach us, guide us, encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? 
Amen. All right. I want, I want to start with, I'm just kind of going to go verse by verse. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Let me reiterate that. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You are no accident. Okay? That's why abortion is wrong. Right here we see God, David saying, God, you made me in my mother's womb. Okay? And perhaps your story is that, that abortion took place maybe some time years ago, and this is kind of a shameful thing for you, or, or maybe it brings guilt, and, and God forgives you. God's grace is with you. But for us to realize that God knit us, and the Hebrew scholars actually talk about that being the, the fetus, is that he made us, he made us in our mother's womb. And it says in verse 14, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. And in other translations, and some of you who grew up in the church, that phrase uh, that, that you made me uh, wonderfully complex and also that, that your workmanship is marvelous is this phrase, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's the same, it's the same phrase. And it, it comes from this Hebrew word, P-A-L-A, which is pala, pala, and it means like Marvelous. It means wonderful, beautiful. It means something where, where somebody creates something that's supposed to move you. Where a creator uh, makes something, maybe back in that day it was a carpenter or a mason, but they would actually make something ultra, ultra special to, in a way to like really impress people. That's what God did with you, is that he created you to be ultra, ultra special, and you are. You don't have to do anything else. You're the creation of God, and that should be enough. You are beautiful. That's what David is saying. Fearfully and wonderfully made, you are beautiful. That's the first fill in the blank if you have teaching notes. And it's interesting in our culture how we've had different innovators and designers who have tried to make, make things uh, material things as a way to move people, as a way to say, this is, this is Paula. This is marvelous. This is wonderful. This is ultra, ultra special. For example, let's take a look at some of the pictures here. These are jeans designed by Damien Hurst, okay? They're worth $27,000. So if you need some jeans for school, there you go. All right, next one. This is a cell phone that's diamond-encrusted worth $2.7 million, okay? And the designers of this, they, they created this, the, the, the case, the carrying case and the iPhone and the diamonds all around it as a way to say, this is marvelous. This is something that is ultra, ultra special. It has a way to move people and to impress people. Next, this is a hamburger. Uh, they make this in New York City. And if you look on the left, you barely can see it. There's some parsley there, I believe, but there's a gold toothpick. You can buy this hamburger and eat it, $295, okay? So that, that you know, I love hamburgers. I'm not sure about the egg thing on the top. I'm, what do you think? I don't know if I would eat that. But anyways, $295 for a hamburger. And the person who created it was creating it as a way to say, this is, this is beautiful and delicious, and hamburger lovers would love this, Okay? So we have different things in our lives that, that we uh, feel are beautiful, impressive. I remember a few years ago where 
uh, my car was being fixed, and I went into, and it was me be fixed for, uh, for a while, like four or five days, so I had to have a, a car rental. So I went into Enterprise, they had a car for me, I had reserved, walked in there, and they said, hey, hey, just a few minutes ago, there was a guy that, was, that uh, had rented a Mercedes, our brand new Mercedes, black Mercedes, convertible Mercedes. Uh, if you want, you can rent it for an extra $5 a day. And I said, I can't do that. I'm a pastor. <laughs> and this, this young guy, he's probably in his late 20s, very bright. He said, you know what? My dad's a Lutheran minister. He would rent this in a second. <laughs> and then I said, if a Lutheran can, I can. And I had it for four days. And I felt like that, that scene in, in Ferris Bueller, where, where Ferris and Cameron, if you've seen that movie, they, they come to the dad's garage, they open it up, and, you know, Cameron says the 1961 Ferrari GT250 California, less than 100 were made. It's that feeling, ugh, you know? It's that feeling. And, and having that Mercedes, was like, this is beautiful. But whether it's jeans or hamburgers or cars, they're only possessions, you know, the Mercedes, it's fiberglass, it's, it's rubber on the tires, it's not going to last forever. And what's special about humanity, what makes the Paula different for you and I, is that we're made to be beautiful for all of eternity. This life on earth is only a glimpse, the Bible tells us, is that we're going to live on into eternity. And based on your faith and where you're at, it's either going to be an eternity in heaven, hopefully, or it's an eternity in hell. But you and I have immortality. We live beyond the life here on earth. A Mercedes is not going to do that. Definitely a hamburger is not going to do that. And, and that makes this, this, be- this beauty even different, that you and I have this, this beautiful. God made you to be beautiful. Now, I think some of us struggle with that. If you were to say to yourself, I am beautiful, what emotions would go through your body? Perhaps you'd blush, or, or maybe it'd be a little bit awkward. Or maybe a friend came up to you and said, you are beautiful. Now, guys, as guys, generally, we don't do that to other guys, right? So I was talking to Brian Ranerson before the service, and I'm like, what do guys, what, what do we say to each other? That kind of sort of has that same sort of feel, same, the same kind of meaning to it. And the, the best that, uh, that Brian and I came up with we're going to demonstrate how Brian stand up here in a second. This is pretty much guys saying we're beautiful. There you go, right there. It's a fist bump. Yeah, it's a fist bump. A lot of times guys are nonverbal. But, you know, for us is to recognize that we are beautiful. God created us. There was a film project done by a high school student named Shay Taylor in Chicago. And all she did was set up a video camera at her, uh, uh, it was, I think, with a theater or, or uh, kind of like an art school in Chicago. And all she did was set up a, a video camera, and, and people would walk by, students would walk by. Some, she, some of the students she knew, others she didn't. And she said, you know what, I just want you to stand there. And they would ask why. And, I said, cause, and she would say, I, I think you're beautiful. And it was amazing the different reactions that they had to her. And here's that, here's that video. and I'm just taking pictures of things I find beautiful. Things uh, that I find beautiful. Of course. So I just need you to stand there and exist. Things I find beautiful. 
And I think you're a beautiful person. <laughs> of course. It's so awkward. It's not. Okay. <laughs> Things I find beautiful. And you got a great look. You're beautiful. I'm just taking pictures of things I find beautiful. That is so nice. <laughs> well, it's the truth. This has been such a great day. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful. That is God's message to you this morning. And not only are we beautiful, but also we're unique. Let's continue on in verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. And what David is saying there, among other things, is that you're unique. You have uniqueness to it, and that's part of our beauty. In, in, a, in a world where we want to kind of try to be someone else, is for us to realize that a big part of us being beautiful is the fact that we're unique. And I came across uh, just some really different ways that cultures and people um, are unique. For example, in China, women often wear long pants and men wear gowns. In tropical Asia, people drink hot tea and munch on blistering peppers to keep cool. Japanese fry ice cream. Um, Indo Indonesian men dance in public to demonstrate their life. Westerners smile at the common Asian custom of marriages arranged by parents, but Asians gasp at our entrusting such a decision to vague romantic love. You'll like this one. Balinese men squat to urinate and women stand. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, this found that really peculiar. Uh, men, many Asians begin a meal with a sweet and finish it with soup. And when the British introduced the violin to India a century ago, men started playing it while sitting on the floor, holding it between their shoulder and the sole of their foot. Why not? But uh, as one scientist says that uh, all species are unique, but the human species, humanity, is unique like none other. And that's the next fill in the blank, is that you are unique. In verse 15, as God formed us in utter seclusion, as he wove us together, you can kind of get a glimpse that God's hands formed you and shaped you, that it wasn't just this, this mix of, of biology. It's actually God himself, the maker of heaven and earth, who formed you. Uh, the Hebrew word for that formed is yatsar. It means actually uh, what uh, an artist would do, a uh, potter with, with clay forming it. God's handprints all over you to be unique. 
And I think for us to realize just how unique we are when we think about humanity is that there's a moral aspect to us, unlike any other species, that there is a definite uh, sense inside of us of right and wrong. Also, we have this spiritual aspect to us that's different from any kind of species, is that you and I have the soul. We have a spirit, and, and that spirituality is experienced in different ways. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. That's why we sing songs like we do here on Sunday mornings. That's different from any kind of species. Last time I saw it, my two Spanish Spaniels are not singing songs of worship on Sunday mornings. Also, we have a mental aspect. We have the capacity for logic, for rationality, uh, for deductive reasoning uh, that is, is important. And also, we have ingenuity. We have that creativity. I mean, if you look at beavers or birds or bees, they do kind of the same thing every year. Beavers make the same dams. Uh, birds make the same nests. Bees make the same hives every year. Humanity has this ingenuity, this creativity, where we forge new paths. We create new things, new ways of living, for example. Also, I watched uh, a TED Talk uh, this past week, and it was uh, half an hour, actually about 32 minutes. And it was uh, a guy who, who specializes in primates, okay? That's the kind of past you have here, okay? I'm willing to be dunked at National Night Out on Tuesday. I'm going to run a half marathon in October, and I watch a TED Talk from a primatologist, Okay? <laughs> Anyways, there's a few things that were interesting. But he talked about how humans are different because he has studied chimpanzees and baboons and apes for 40 years. In this TED Talk, he talked about how, he, how humans are different from other species. And one of the things that he talked about is the fact that humans have passive-aggressive behavior. You don't see that in animals. Uh, for example, we may say something to somebody uh, and, and they'll respond back and they'll apologize. They'll say, oh, it's no big deal. And then for the next three days, we're like, we give them the silent treatment, right? Or we give them that look, all right? At least that's what my friends do to me sometimes. Um, also, we have the ability that animals don't have in terms of, they call it theory of mind. And it's, it's actually, we, we can have this multiple theory of mind. And the best way I can, I can uh, define that for you is, for example, if you've watched any of the Bourne movies, and the Jason Bourne movies coming out pretty soon with Matt Damon, is that we're able to, to know about five or six subplots and know, and know, and know the details around that and how it's, it, it's going to possibly work together. Okay, other uh, animals can't do that. Humanity can Okay. Also, we have, this is very interesting, uh, a, lot of, a lot of animal species have empathy. But what makes us distinct is not only do we feel bad if something happens to our dog or happens, something happens to our neighbor, we have empathy for them, but we can see a video or a commercial of Sarah McLaughlin talking about adopting these poor dogs, and, and we're in tears. Or, or perhaps it's a painting that brings us to tears, that we empathize with what's on there. So we have that ability to show empathy from an abstract way or from a, we don't have to have a relationship with that thing or person to show empathy. You and I are unique. You and I are unique. And I think for, in, in some ways, so often our world wants us to give in to conformity wants us to uh, look around and compare. We live in a society of comparisons. And students, please hear me on this, is that you look at your friends, you look at the Instagram pictures, and they look so wonderful, and they look so beautiful, and everything's perfect. 
and perhaps they're driving that 1961 Ferrari, and, uh, and, and you want to have a life like that. So you kind of try to pretend to be like that. I remember when I, was, I started out as a senior pastor and did a church plant back in 2004, and I was preaching on, on a regular basis for the first time. And I was listening to podcasts of other preachers, you know, that's helpful sometimes, and, and some other pastors that have mentored me and influenced me. And, and I began to sort of try to emulate them. Because I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I didn't feel good about my own uniqueness. And it took me a while because a friend said, hey, Craig, I, I've listened to several of your sermons on the, uh, online, and that's not you. That's not you. It was very convicting for me. And ever since then, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to be myself. I'm just going to let it fly. That may sound really easy, but it's hard. As a pastor, to be a leader is to find your own voice and to have confidence that the Holy Spirit is going to work in and through that. When I meet with church planters, it's one of the first things I say to them, find your voice and stick with it. That's how God made you to be. Don't be somebody else. We need you to be you. And it's the same with you as well. For you to be you. For you to live out your beautiful uniqueness. Because when you try to be someone else, when you try to emulate someone else, dress like them, be like them, there's a gap. There's a gap in God's creation. You're supposed to be there in that spot and you're being someone else. So celebrate your uniqueness. Be who you are. Be who God made you to be. Be comfortable with your quirks. And even though you're, you, perhaps your spouse, your friends kind of give you a hard time about it, embrace that. It's a part of who you are. It's part of what makes you, makes you beautiful. It's part of God's creation. And I think in the same way for us as a church, it's so free, easy for us to compare ourselves to other churches that might be bigger and perhaps in a way we think better. And for us to all of a sudden pretend to start doing things to be like that other church because it seems like it's successful. It seems like they're growing quite a bit. And, and for us, it, pretty soon, churches do this with us, and they start changing things. we got to be like them. But God created Maple Grove Covenant Church to be beautiful. She is the bride of Christ, and she is unique, and she has a certain kind of personality, and we need to embrace that. And for us going forward is to li- live in that and, and to thrive on that, that God has made this church for a certain reason and it to be unique. We have our own DNA we have our own, you know, a sense of like a fingerprint or something. That God has made us for a certain purpose. And that leads me to my next point. In verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. I want you to underline that phrase, every day of my life. And then circle, recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And what David is saying is that you have a destiny. Your life is not an accumulation of accidents. It's not an accumulation of these arbitrary circumstances. What he's saying is that, God, you have planned out every single day of my life, the good and the bad. And sometimes we come into moments where it seems like we hit a dead end. You ever felt that way? You hit a dead end? You hit a problem in life? A circumstance that just brings you to your knees? When the pursuit of your dreams deteriorates? A good friend of mine several years ago was engaged. He he thought his dreams had come true. And after a couple of years in this engagement, and they were about a year away from their wedding day, uh, the relationship just fell apart. His fiancée said, "I, I don't want to marry you. And it was heartbreaking. 
I mean, it took him at least three or four years to get back on his feet because he hit this dead end in his life. Like, there's no way I can recover from this. Have you ever experienced a dead end in your life? It can happen in us. It can happen in a variety of ways. Maybe it's the workplace. Maybe it's, it's friendships. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's just kind of your career and where you're at is where you hit a dead end. And probably next to Jesus, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the most influential person in all, all Christianity. And that's saying something. And I love what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to that. Because he hit a dead end. He hit a dead end in his life. And you think with Paul, everything was, would, would kind of happen automatically, like he had the Midas touch or something. But he says in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, Verse 8b, for to be particular, he says, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to, to, to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. So when you think about your future, when you think about your kid's future, stop relying on yourself. On your, yourself. And this is, this is what he says. And we learn to rely only on God. And then he has this nice sort of parenthetical started relying on God who raises the dead, okay? That's saying something. I mean, the worst thing that could happen to somebody is that they die, right? And God's power is so amazing that, that he can bring people back to life. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Three days later, you know, he's walking around. The tomb is empty. That's what we celebrate on Easter. So if God can raise the dead, let us look to him for our future, God can bring a marriage back from the dead. God can bring you back from emotional death. God can bring you back from perhaps a dead end in your life where you feel like it's not going to work out. My life is a mess. It's, there's too much garbage. There's too many problems. There's too many dead ends. Stop relying on yourself and rely on God who can bring back the dead. It's an amazing statement by Paul and for us to realize that. And God, I think oftentimes, he allows uh, problems to happen. Problems that turn into probably impossibilities. And when we, we face this, we experience this, we ask the question, what's going on, God? Did I, did I miss your plan? Did I miss your will? And I think we've got to keep in mind that dead ends are part of God's plan. Every day of my life, David says, was marked out before I was born. Dead ends, challenges are part of God's plan for us. And what is the best response to a dead end besides the one I mentioned? Continue on in verse 10. I, like, I just love this. Paul continues, And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. You're not accidental. God has purpose for you. You are beautiful. You are unique. There's no other person like you. And as a result, you have a destiny. You have a purpose for life. And you might be here this morning thinking that your life is this set of problems and chaos and, you're, and it seems like you're, you're rudderless. But to know from God's word that you have a destiny. Have you discovered what that is yet? You have a purpose. Dave Brown and a, and a, and a few others 
uh, I would say one of their major destinies or purposes, they, they just help people. Dave loves to help people. And him and a couple other guys this afternoon, they're taking time away from their family. They're taking time away from their kids to help somebody in our church move. This is what they do. And I know I can call Dave because that's who Dave is. It's part of his purpose in life. He just wants to help people. He helps veterans uh, uh, vocationally. What's your destiny? And this church has a destiny. If you remember a couple years ago when our previous senior pastor transitioned, there's a number of you were asking questions like, oh, here we go again. Almost like our destiny was problems. Okay? Like, like our destiny as Maple Grove Covenant Church was always to have problems. And I remember I came up in that November, not too long after that transition, and I read from Second Kings chapter 3, which I believe was a word from God to this church, where God comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, there's a drought. I know that. But I want you to tell people to grab a shovel and start digging ditches because my rain is going to come. My rain is going to come. My rain of blessing is going to come. And I, and I encouraged you to grab a shovel, metaphorically, obviously, but to grab a shovel to start digging ditches. And what's happened the last couple of years? God's rain has come. Uh, people who have come to this church and their stories, um, people coming to Christ, and in some words of, of uh, some of our longtime attendees, uh, who have told me, I haven't seen this in 15 years. And that's God's reign that has come upon us. And we're facing a challenge right now with our building. And I fully believe that our destiny as a church is to be here in this building, in this location. God has a purpose for our church. And, and we're going to figure that out, some of these projects. And you're going to hear more about that in terms of our roof and some of the projects. And I fully believe that we'll accomplish that because we have a destiny. We have a destiny with our neighbors in the townhomes. That's why we do National Night Out. We don't do National Night Out just to have a bouncy house face painting and really some corn on the cob and just kind of hang out. Our destiny is to be a blessing to those neighbors behind the church. That's part of our purpose. And I believe that we have a destiny that God has created this church in a certain way with all these seats and for us to utilize them. You know, oftentimes during the week, I'll come in here and I'll just pray over like, like H11. If you look on the back of your chair, there's a letter and a number. I'll just pray for H11 or, or like J4 or whatever. And I'll say, God, I want you to fill that. God has given us a number of seats, a number of places in the sanctuary. And I believe part of our destiny is to have those filled, not for numerical sake, but for the, li- for the sake of lives. As I pray, I think of people's lives. And where you're sitting right now, perhaps you've come in the last year, maybe you were an answer to one of those prayers to fill that seat. Back to you. You are beautiful. You are unique. And you have a destiny. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks for your work. In a variety of ways, your work throughout this world your work in and through this church. And God, thank you so much as we have seen your reign, your reign of blessing in so many ways, innumerable ways, in our children, in our students, in our adults. And God, all glory goes to you. And we fully expect as we go forward, as we celebrate our 30th year in this fall, that our destiny is to make a difference in Maple Grove and Osseo and the surrounding areas 
to make a difference in the DR, to make a difference in Kenya, to make a difference in places that we're not even aware of right now. God, thank you for how you've wired this church, and God, thank you for how you've wired each person here, how they reflect who you are, that they're beautiful, that they're unique, and that they have a destiny. In Jesus' name, amen.